Good evening. Time to begin our services tonight. It's good to see you all. Our, our preacher has arrived, so we're in good shape. Uh, we're going to have two songs, and then a prayer and scripture, and then another song and sermon. Uh, if you would, please stand. We'll begin with, if you keep your heart singing, old song, Sacred Selections, it's not in our book. Hopefully you guys know this one. <laughs> You will have a helper near, and the foe will give you fear if you keep your heart singing all the while. You will surely win the fray and rejoice on crowning day if you keep your heart singing all the while. If you keep your heart singing all the while, if you always wear a funny happy smile, you will find the joys of life be Before opening uh, prayer and scripture reading, uh, we're going to lead Father, same one I led last week. Our scripture reading for this evening 
comes from Psalms uh, 139, verse 14. Psalm 139, verse 14. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight with glad hearts, with thankful hearts, for, for everything that has been done for us and is made possible through your son Jesus. As we, as we meet together to worship tonight, Father, I pray everything is done that is done is pleasing to you. I pray that you lead us uh, through your scripture to, to, to grow in our faith and in our love, and that we might be a, a better picture and a better mirror of, of your son Jesus, that others might, might see his love and your love by the witness that we have. And lead us and guide us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Mark in your books, number 273, that'll be the song of invitation this evening, 273, and for the lesson, number 823, would you stand again, please, One very quick uh, announcement before we begin our lesson tonight. Uh, the Sullivans, Greg and Ashley, have invited uh, the youth group over to their house this evening for some sledding. Uh, so if you're interested in that, if that strikes your fancy, we would love to uh, have you join in on that. Tonight we are talking about design in animals. Uh, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about. I think it's one of the more powerful arguments for the existence of God. Uh, I think you um, can convince people that don't believe in uh, God's existence using this argument because it's so prevalent. Um, you can find design in literally any animal out there. You, um, I, I've, I've done a couple of lessons, I think, on the mosquito uh, and how, how uniquely it's designed. Uh, the bombardier beetle is also uniquely designed. 
um, but literally any animal that you could grab out of the air or, or touch on land or even see in the ocean, uh, each one of them comes with its own unique design. So literally every animal sings forth God's praise and His existence. So I think this is a powerful argument for those reasons and others. Um, but tonight I kind of wanted to walk through some of those animals with you um, and, and think through, uh, at least equip you to be able to think through with our friends who don't believe in the existence of God why um, He exists. But maybe a better way to think about that is just to put chinks in their armor. You're, you're not going to convince most people um, that God exists in one sitting. Uh, they've built up this theology over the span of several time, uh, several years and most likely a lifetime. Uh, but what you can do is get them to start questioning. And if you can get them to start questioning, you put little chinks in their armor, and I think these animals will help us with that. So let me walk you through some of these that I think are more interesting, I suppose, or at least are on my mind more now uh, than some of the other, was, other ones perhaps. So, in the 1960s, in fact, 1964, Japan made its first bullet, tra bullet train. This thing could go 150 miles an hour. Cool, right? It's a passenger train. And so it's connecting these two major cities in, uh, in Japan. And it can get people from A to B super fast, going 150 miles an hour. Uh, this is it on December 21st, one of the first pictures taken of this train. The problem came as they started making these trains faster and faster to get the A to B quicker. The trains started getting faster and the problem was the sonic boom that these things uh, create when they go through tunnels. Um, so for uh, about a quarter of a mile around the tunnel, as the train would go through it, it would bust out windows a quarter of a mile radius around the tunnel. Obviously that's a problem. But the major problem that these things were encountering in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, all the way up until the 90s, really, um, was uh, the tunnels themselves were being degraded because of the sonic boom. Uh, think of a fist hitting a concrete wall. After so many times, you're going to knock some pieces loose. And that was happening to all the tunnels in Japan that these things were going through. This is the future, right? And this is uh, Japan's... Um, way of traveling in the future. They're going to get you from A to B super fast. You don't even have to get on a plane. It's cheaper. It's faster. You stay on the ground and you can go 150 miles an hour plus now. Um, but the problem is the integrity of these tunnels were demolishing. Um, they were, the trains were, themselves were demolishing the integrity of the tunnels until the tunnels were going to fall on the trains, making them a much less safe form of transportation. So, how do they figure out what was going on, or how do, how do they figure out how to fix it? Well, in 1997, an engineer figured out that they needed to elongate this thing's nose uh, to create uh, a less, um, to, 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 to make the sonic boom not happen as they went through the tunnels. They knew faster trains were coming out. In fact, they had one planned for 2030 that was going to be able to go 250 miles an hour, right? 250 miles an hour on a train in Japan, slotted for 2030. You can ride it in 2027 if you get to Japan because it's three years ahead of schedule because they figured out how to fix these things. So how did they figure out how to fix them? Well, this engineer in 97 figured out that if you elongate this thing's nose, if you make it narrower and longer, then the sonic boom doesn't happen, right? Uh, and the integrity of the tunnel can, can stand up. So, they made it about 75 feet long. That's, what, how, that's how long the nose is going to be on, uh, on this train that's coming up in 2027. So, where did this guy get the idea for an elongated nose? Well, the kingfisher. He started studying the kingfisher and how this bird can dive into water um, and not disrupt the, the surface of the water with its beak. So this thing's beak, it, it travels at 25 miles an hour, diving into the water. And when it 
you can see the bubbles here. So you know that when it hits the water, at least when its body hits the water, it does disrupt the water. But it's traveling so fast that when its beak hits the water, it doesn't even disrupt. There's not a ripple of water that warns the fish that danger's coming, right? By the time its body hits the water, the fish is already in its beak. The cool thing about this all is, well, back up here. Fish have special um, receptors that allow them to feel movement in the water around them so that they can skeeter away from various predators, uh, including the kingfisher. This thing goes so fast and it's already hitting the water without a ripple that those receptors don't work. They function for things like sharks and other catfish and other things that eat smaller fish. Um, Their receptors function, but the kingfisher, its nose is built, designed in such a way that it doesn't send a ripple underneath the water or on top of the water as it dives in. And by the time a ripple does happen because of its body, it's already got the fish in its beak. This is, this science is something called biomimicry. And so basically we're calling it God's design, helping humans design things better. Right? So this engineer in 97, I've got a problem. We're doing, we're creating sonic booms as these trains run through the tunnels. We've got to figure out a way to, to make this not happen. Well, there's a bird that doesn't create a sonic boom. In fact, it doesn't create a ripple at all when its beak hits the water. Huh, maybe that's the solution to our problem with the trains going through the tunnels. So we started studying and indeed it is the solution. Remember, they elongated this thing's, um, this train's nose 75 feet so that it's almost the exact dimensions of the kingfisher's beak. It's interesting, right? Um, Let's see, what else we wanted to say there? So, uh, Charles, Charles, Charles Darwin, slow down a bit. Charles Darwin had this idea. He called it irreducible complexity. Uh, and with that, it's a $10 word, right? But basically, he's saying that every component of an animal is necessary to make it function at all. Um, he would, he would use our eyes, the human eyes, he thought were irreducibly complex, and indeed they are. Um, meaning that every component of your eye is necessary, has to be working at full capacity, and every, every little bit of it has to be working, or you don't see correctly, right? Um, and so if part of your eye is not working exactly right, you're colorblind. If another part of your eye isn't working correctly, you're completely blind, right? So uh, the human eye is irreducibly complex. Every bit, you can't reduce any of it. It's important for him because he thought that uh, things started very um, simplistic and then over time, millions and billions of years, um, things would adapt so that uh, they got better across eons, ages, millions and billions of years, things would get more complex. And so things with irreducible complexity kind of stumped him. He didn't get it. Um, I don't know how the human eye could have evolved. His words, not mine, uh, origin of species, he says that. That's what irreducible complexity means. My argument and the argument of a great many scholars that study this kind of thing far more than I do and can speak about it far more intelligibly than I can say that these things, these animals, every one of them, are irreducibly complex. The kingfisher is one of those things. Um, how did his beak evolve so that he could do this? His main diet is, is, is fish. Um, so it'll eat berries, insects, but its main diet consists of fish. It, if its beak wasn't designed perfectly, it would have never caught the first fish, and the first generation of kingfisher would have died of starvation. Um, that's not what happened, obviously, because God designed this thing so that it could fulfill its purposes 
perfectly. As a matter of fact, when you look into water, have you noticed this? When you look into water, there's, there's some refraction of light, and you can't exactly see how far down something is. You get a pretty good idea of it because our eyes have certain things in them that help us figure out how deep something is in the water. Um, but the difference between five feet and five and a half feet or even two inches and five inches gets a little murky for us, doesn't it? That's not true for the kingfisher. He's got super uh, receptors in his eyes that will tell him exactly how far down this fish is. It's three and a half inches down into the water. So this thing does some geometry in its head. Right? This bird does geometry in its head. Else, if it didn't do that, it would plow into the bottom of every lake and creek that it dived into. Right? But it dives 25 miles an hour into the water, catches the fish, and comes right back up. It's amazing, right? There's no way this thing evolved. It's irreducibly complex. Um, what I love about this thing and, and all the ones that we're studying tonight, each one of these have been studied by engineers to make our own designs better. Stop and think about that for a second. If you were to walk into Japan in 2027 and you bought the first ticket to uh, this bullet train, you said, I, I want to go to Nagasaki. Uh, and so you, you, bought your, you bought your ticket, um, and you get on the train, and you look at the guy next to you, and you say, isn't this amazing how this thing evolved? This is just crazy. A bunch of bolts and screws got put together, and this thing, I mean, tracks and everything just popped up one day. Isn't that phenomenal? He'd look at you like you were crazy, right? You were, you, 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 he would get kicked off the train, wouldn't you? You'd be the laughing stock. Something that is much more complex than the bullet train taught the engineers, how to design the bullet train so that it could function well. But when we say that that bird's designed, people laugh. Joke's not on us, guys. We believe Genesis. He created these things. They didn't evolve like this. It would be the greatest stupidity to believe that, wouldn't it? Let's talk more. I know this is a, a, a lesson on the design of animals. I threw this one in for free. So this one's called the burdock plant. Um, it's found by a guy named George de Mestrel in 1941. This guy is a Swiss engineer, and he's out hunting with his dog in Switzerland, rural Switzerland. And he looks over at his dog, and he sees those little cockerels. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, we've got them here, sort of. Uh, you see them every now and then in some parts of the country. Um, they don't look exactly like this, but they, they kind of look reminiscent, right? And, but you see them in your, in your animals or maybe your horses or whatever. They'll get those cockerels in their, in their fur. And, and if you're not just really careful, uh, they'll, they'll attach to your pants, too. And so this guy sees them. They're on his dog. And the more his dog rolls around trying to get them off, the more embedded these cockerels become. Uh, burdock plant uh, seeds become entangled in this thing's fur. He looks down in his own pants, and they're on his own pants, and he can't, he's having trouble brushing them off, right? So this guy gets back, he does a little bit more research, um, and he finds out a little bit more about this plant. I'll tell you more about that in a second, though. Um, this plant is different than most other plants. Most plants uh, disseminate their seeds in these ways, either water, like um, uh, rain coming through, making, uh, carrying the, 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 the seeds on down the line. Uh, that happens occasionally. Gravity, gravity uh, the seeds disperse just because they fall out of the tree or whatever or fall off the plant. Animals like this bird, like our friend here, the bird, or... Even wolves are known to eat berries and things. Elephants, um, all the things that eat berries, all the animals that eat berries, deposit them in their own set of fertilizer <laughs> in various parts of the country. Uh, and that's one of the ways that uh, the seeds make their way around. Wind carries a lot of these things. And then a term I'm not familiar with, it's called ballistic um, uh, dispersal of seeds. But apparently okra does this, some, uh, some pea pods do this. They, they get so um, 
tight that they eventually just burst open, and that's how the seeds get out um, to different parts of, of the area. All and are all plants want to do that. This is the way of uh, of um, propagating themselves. So all plants want to do that. They're they're all about growing into different places, and they're not going to stay in this one spot. They're going to want to grow all over everywhere they can get. So these are some of the ways that most plants do that. Get from A to B. Uh, a couple years ago, we had our kids like to plant zinnias and sunflowers and vegetables and things like that, but. One of uh, the kids planted sunflowers. Titus likes to plant sunflowers. And so we planted sunflowers. You know, some sunflowers ended up all in our, like in our front yard and the side yard. There were sunflowers in places. We didn't plant sunflowers. You know how they go, those things got there? Water, gravity, animals, wind carried our seeds there. This thing doesn't do that. The, the burdock plant, it doesn't, it doesn't carry seeds like that. How does it carry seeds? Well, it attaches to the fur of animals, and it carries itself in a way to propagate its seed, it carries itself to various parts of um, the country there. And that's what's happened to our boy, George de Mestral, the engineer in 1941 from Switzerland. He's got him on his dog, he's got him on his pants, and they are doing what they were designed to do, right? They were designed to propagate themselves throughout the world, and here they are fulfilling their purposes. Dog comes through this, this bush, and he takes the seeds and he goes on with his life and deposits those seeds in other places where they can grow up and become the full uh, plant. What's so cool about these things, when George de Mestrel, the Swiss engineer, gets back, he starts looking at them. And he notices, you can see it on, on, the, on the screen, uh, the big picture, that these things have hooks in them. And that's why they, they attach to his pants, that's why they attach to the, the dog's fur because they have hooks in them. You may not know George de Mestrel. You may not know that name, but I guarantee you've used the product that he created because of these things, Velcro. He made Velcro. You know how he made it? He didn't come up with it, right? He's not smart enough to come up with this idea, but he looked at this, at this burdock plant, and he saw, man, these things, they interlock in such a way, it's real hard to remove these things. He sold it to NASA, Velcro. That's how NASA. That's how uh, Velcro got its big start. They were putting it on the on the walls in the space station to keep stuff stuck, right? But he found out about it because of this plant. All right, back to animals. Here's our slug. So slugs are cool. Um, I like studying these animals, especially in the ones that are like, Ugh. like that's what got me into the mosquito because everybody hates mosquitoes, right? Uh, so, but if you can make um, people think about mosquitoes in an interesting way, now you got a little bit more of a, a hook. Um, slugs are the same way. So, a couple years ago, a couple summers ago, uh, I'm taking off our trash. I don't know how you guys do your trash, but I don't ever seem to be able to remember it during the day. <laughs> it's always at night, about 11:55. Uh, by the time I think to go take the trash out on Monday night so that our trash gets taken away. So I'm doing that on this hot summery night um, a couple of years ago, and it's dark, and I just reach over and I grab the trash can lid, and it's slimy and gooey. And I look down at my hand, and I've picked up a slug. Ugh, yuck. And I still don't learn my lesson. I did this last Monday. It still went out there at midnight. So my point is slugs are really, really interesting. This little guy solved a big problem for surgeons, as a matter of fact. Interesting, right? A slug and surgeons, how do those two go together? Well, surgeons needed a better adhesive, especially when they were doing internal surgeries, like your heart. If you've ever had open heart surgery, you need to think of slug next time you see one. Because this thing um, helps keep your heart tissue together. Uh, they were struggling, uh, and this is as lately as 2017, they were struggling with especially um, organs that, that stay wet and always move, right? So like your heart, it's always moving, but it's constantly wet. So how do you, how do you get a glue that will stick to that in a way that works, right? They were struggling with that. And so they, they come up with this 
they found out that the, that the slug has special glue. In fact, that it uses to protect itself. In fact, if you uh, were to watch this one particular type of slug, I think it's called a dus dusky Orion slug. If you watch this thing uh, protect itself, it's so interesting because it'll be on the side of a wall and a bird will come by and try to snatch it with its beak and take off with it. This glue on this thing is so strong that the bird can't pull it off the wall. Pretty cool, right? So when surgeons started looking for a glue that would hold wet, moving organs together, they settled on this thing uh, and made a, a mixture um, from its um, secretions, its glue, that will um, help keep your heart together. And in fact, they found that it is as strong as the cartilage that is stuck to your bones. Isn't that phenomenal? This glue uh, that, the, that the slug secretes is as strong as the cartilage that, that sticks your bones together. Um, so, that's, um, that's what that is. So, and that's as recently as 2017. So, if the smartest people in the world, heart surgeries affect a vast number of our population, right? Uh, even those across the world. So, it's been a problem for a little while now, right? So, if the smartest people in the world have been working on a solution for this, and they didn't come up with it. They just mimicked another designer's design, right? They just saw what God had designed and did what he did. In fact, even using um, the exact same glue that he imbued the slug with. All right, sharks are our last one. Um, sharks are also very, very neat. They are obviously the apex predators in the ocean. They can swim 12 miles an hour. Pretty fast, right? Uh, you can't outrun them, at least not in the ocean. You can probably outrun them on land. <laughs> but you can't outrun them in the ocean. Michael Phelps, fastest guy that ever touched water, right? Michael Phelps swims six miles an hour at his fastest. In his prime, they clocked him at six miles an hour. Pretty fast. Sharks swim twice as fast as Michael Phelps. Um they're not the fastest fish in, fish in the ocean. Dolphins swim much faster. They can top out at 25 miles an hour. They're also quite a bit smarter uh, and able to defend themselves against sharks. These uh, dolphins' noses, I know we're talking about sharks, and I'll get to them in a second, but I thought dolphins were, were kind of a, a neat sidetrack here. Their noses are so hard, they work like a natural battering ram. And so dolphins will come up in their fights against sharks. If sharks just won't leave this dolphin alone, they don't, they don't hunt dolphin often because dolphins are so smart, so much faster, and a pretty dangerous enemy uh, for sharks. But when they do uh, hunt dolphins, uh, the dolphin will get up underneath the shark, swim up underneath them, and then swim just as fast as he can and hit the soft underbelly of the shark. Going 25 miles an hour with a battering ram, he causes serious internal injuries to the shark, thus is able to defend himself against this incredible predator. But we'll save dolphins for later. Um, here's what I wanted to show you about sharks. They have dentricles. I don't know if you know what that word means, but I didn't. Um, but dentricles are basically tiny teeth that are on their skin. Dermal ventricles is what, the, this, is what this term is called. Um, but it basically means they have tiny teeth all over their skin. If you've ever caught one, you go into deep sea fishing or whatever, and you've caught a shark, you rub it one way, right? It feels just as slick as glass. But you rub it the other way, and it feels a lot like sandpaper. That's those teeth. You're touching their teeth. And they're actually made out of the same thing as your teeth uh, and shark's teeth. They're just so much smaller. So to show you how cool this is, um, Stradivari violins are sanded with a variety of shark skin. Pretty neat, right? They're called, um, it's the dogfish shark. Uh, so their skin can, uh, is equal to 80 to 220 grit sandpaper, extra fine sandpaper um, is what this, these sharks, this particular shark um, can have. All sharks are different, right? All of them have different um, grits, 
if you can think about it, of sandpaper. Um, this is, each one of their dermal dentricles, these teeth on their skin are all different. Um, but they push them through the water, making them faster and quieter. Pretty neat, huh? This is one of the reasons they're such an incredible predator, because you don't hear them coming. Much like the kingfisher, uh, this, the, these dermal dentricles, these teeth on their, on their outside of their skin, propel them through the water faster, but it propels them through the water faster and quieter than other fish that are approaching. Um, this is so true that in 2000, when the Olympics were in Sydney, Australia, <clears throat> um, Speedo came out with this thing called fast skin suits. Fast skin suits. Um, and they were made from, at least with the technology of, shark dermal dentricles. Pretty neat, right? 83% of the people that won medals at the 2000 Olympics were wearing these suits. Stuff works. 13, 15 um, world records were beat that year in Sydney, Australia in the water Olympics, uh, the swimming the portion of those Olympics. 15 world records were set. 13 out of those 15 world records were set by people wearing this, this suit fashioned out of shark dermal dentricles dermal dentricles, the teeth. Pretty phenomenal, right? But here's a designer in 2000 who looks back at another designer's design and just copies it. I mean, just straight copies it. If God had put a patent on these things, these suits would not have been possible. Uh, the glue from the slug wouldn't have been possible had God patented the slug glue, Right? Uh, the kingfisher's beak. If he had patented it, nobody would have known about the bullet train, bullet train in 2027 going 250 miles an hour. So these designers in our generation, like people that are contemporary with us, are looking at animals and figuring out better ways to design stuff than the smartest human beings can think of. And those same people tell you that these things evolved like that. Don't make no sense, does it? <laughs> um, I think these things are fascinating. Uh, and I think, that's why we're going over it, that they are helpful for us as we talk to our friends who don't believe in the existence of God. And you can just throw one of these animals up there and we're like, how does that make sense, right? I don't want to argue with you, but I, think about that, you know? Um, if we studied the bombardier beetle, Remember we talked about him at the beginning of our lesson. We studied the bombardier beetle to make um, rocket science better. The smart, literally the smartest people on the planet studied a tiny bug so that they could make their rocket go into space more effectively. Jet propulsion is, is the, uh, uh, the, the, what they learned from the bombardier beetle. And that's really recently, like the, I think it's in the 60s or 70s, uh, they were studying the bombardier beetle, figuring that stuff out. Just throw out those animals and just ask a question, how do you think that happens? If we, who design literal rockets that go into space for extended periods of time, aren't smart enough to be able to figure out how to do it better than a bombardier beetle, what makes you think the bombardier beetle's not designed? It's got to be, right? And they're going to say, well, that's just the bombardier beetle. Well, what about the shark skins? Isn't that weird? When we copied shark skin and put them in bathing suits, it made people so fast they were breaking world records. Weird, right? Those bathing suits were designed, weren't they? Oh, yeah, of course they were. Why, why can't you believe the shark was? I think these things are helpful, uh, or we wouldn't be talking about it. Interestingly enough, uh, the shark skin, uh, the fast skin bathing suits were banned after the 2000 Olympics. They were too effective, right? Um, so now you have to wear the old um, old style bathing suits or whatever. Um, but as you talk to your friends about issues like this, bring up some of these animals. 
they're, they're powerful and they're, they're easy, right? You may not remember all this stuff. Uh, you probably won't remember all this stuff, all, all these facts and the words and all this stuff and what they did, but you can do this research on your own. This isn't hard. Um, type in what makes sharks so cool and Google National Geographic will teach you this stuff. They don't, they don't believe, but they know all the science. They know all the facts, and you believe, and so you can put, all, you can put two and two together and think, how do you not believe this? Not a single one of these articles, not a, not a bit of my research for this lesson came from any Christian's site. Not a one. Every bit of it came from PhDs who were in the secular world. Not an article came from one of our brethren or anybody claiming to be Christian. You can do this research. You don't have to depend on, uh, on lessons like this or books or uh, even Apologetics Press, which is a fantastic uh, resource for us. Uh, members of the church that, are, that have put out science, scientific articles like this lesson um, that can build up your faith. You don't even have to rely on those guys. You can go do this research on your own. Um, and I recommend that. Uh, so just to just to find your one animal, all you need is one or two. Um, that when someone, when you encounter someone who's like, ah, I don't believe in God, how do you believe all that and all that stuff? And like, well, let me tell you about the mosquito, and you you make your own decisions, right? Let me tell you about the shark, and you make your own decisions. Oh, just give give me your ear for just a second. I'll talk to you about the bombardier beetle, or the giraffe, or the elephant, or the fly, or fill in the blank, because they're all unique and awesome and all demand a designer. These biomimicry things, uh, these animals um, that have obviously been designed, even our world says there's a designer there because our designers, the smartest people on the planet, our engineers and our designers are looking forward to God's design and is ripping them off. But they don't think that these things, these animals were designed. You make your own decisions. Do your own research, make your own decisions. But tonight, if you're struggling, we want to pray for you that you can be everything that God would have you to be. Maybe this lesson has sparked some questions in you. If you have any questions, I'd love to sit down with you and talk more about these things. Uh, maybe tonight you're, you're ready. You're ready to make the decision to be baptized, to have your sins washed away and become a part of his kingdom, a part of his family. We want to aid you in any way we can. Why don't you come as we stand and sing? Good evening, church family. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. As a reminder that uh, the deacons and elders meeting has been postponed until a later date. Um, also, uh, this coming Friday is the Nerf battle here at the building at 6 o'clock, and this is a youth event for all ages. Um, also, next Sunday is Potluck Sunday. 
uh, we'll have one o'clock service, no six o'clock service. And if you have a child within the youth group, there will be a meeting uh, during the potluck up front um, in, in the auditorium uh, during the potluck to discuss 2024 calendar. Uh, Saturday, February the 3rd, will be our chili cook-off at 2 o'clock. If you can help out with snacks with CYC, please sign up on the four-year board. Updates on our prayer list. Remember, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgis, Jim Martin, and Jackie Hutchison in your prayers as they continue with their cancer treatments. Remember, continue to keep Friday Simpson and Roger Kaufman in your prayers as well. And keep the Farrell uh, family in your prayers as well. Uh, for their for little baby. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in a conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Picked out a new one to close with. What a mighty God we serve. It's extremely short. We're going to sing it through three times. And you should pick it up after the first time, so <laughs> it's very easy. Lord, mighty God, we please dear lord thank you for today and thank you for letting us be able to get back out to church this evening lord thank you for chris for that lesson dear god help us to be able to recognize animals or insects plants whatever it is lord let us be able to recognize your creation in them and be able to spread your word to others lord dear god i ask that you would be with those that need you those on the sick list and those that only you know the name of lord be with each of us as we drive home this evening and your sons let me pray amen <laughs>